Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that is so vital to optimal health, not just of individuals, but of our communities, of our tribes, of our families. It has to do with education, and we're approaching it from a very fascinating perspective from a fascinating guest, Erica Twani. Erica is the CEO of a very, very innovative organization called Learning One to One. Erica, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Dr. DeRose, to have me. Erica, I know when I speak to people about education, I speak about an author, founder of a corporation, CEO, immediately people are connecting the dots in their mind and they say, well, here's someone with their PhD in education, uh, maybe has been a school principal, maybe taught at the university level. Do all of those things apply to you? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a bit about yourself, how you got on this uh, very interesting and exciting journey. Well... I'm an engineer, David, um, to tell you the truth. So it's very interesting to see that, you know, this crazy person, crazy engineer uh, being involved in education. But I started working um, with education um, about 20 years ago, education technology first, right? And uh, I had one project that I went around the world visiting schools and to find the best pedagogy models, which is the best way that children learn in school. Mm. And it was fascinating. And my job was to eventually add technology to it to see how it would expand, how it would scale. Today, we see a lot of different pockets of innovations, what I call around the world, you know, schools that are very good at what they do. But the big question is, how do we scale this? And uh, then I visit, visited one school in the country, Colombia, rural school in the middle of nowhere. They never had any, anything, you know, their, their parents, kids' parents uh, plant roses or, you know, they, they have cows and, and the milk cows and, you know, something very simple, very rural. And, and then I saw those kids so happy they were happy to share. They were happy to do things that, you know, learn. And they were happy to, to show you what they were doing. And one child in particular, and that, that you can read the whole story in my book, if you have a chance, becoming Einstein's teacher. But one child in particular was a blind child, right? He was, uh, he, he told me his story and I was amazed. He was so happy. He was the leader of the school. He was set to get full scholarship. And I said, something's going on here. I can't believe this is going on. This is awesome. So what if, my big question was, what if we could scale this to the world, every single school? And that's how I left my big tech company uh, job and and, uh, founded Learning One-to-One to make sure that every child can have access to an education like this. 
This is such a fascinating story, Erica, and I know a lot of folks, whether they're in the heart of Indian country, whether they're on a reservation, whether they're in an urban area, regardless of what their roots are, I mean, this is something that's getting so much attention today in the general uh, marketplace, general discourse, speaking about educational techniques, how we can have the best students, how we can uh, secure the best future for our communities, our country. So definitely a cutting-edge topic, and I think one of the fascinating things that you're sharing with us that's so relevant to my listeners is a lot of your work came out of working with people that were living very close to their indigenous roots, and you even have an interesting connection yourself. I mean, I was looking at your bio and some of the work. I'd watched a, a video featuring some of your work, and I said, Twani. That last name, I just couldn't connect it. Tell us a little bit about some of the connections in your life that have given you a kind of a sense of solidarity with indigenous peoples. Absolutely. This is such an interesting story. So I was born in Brazil, the country, Brazil, in the Amazon, whereas there's highest concentration of the Indian population in Brazil, in the Amazon. And 20 is a Tupi Guarani, which is a tribe. Tupi Guarani is, is one of the largest tribes in Brazil. And that means the one that was born beautiful. So at least in my name, I have that. <laughs> not necessarily, may not necessarily be the truth, but uh, at least in my name. And um, so that's where Tuani comes from. So it's very interesting uh, story in connection with the Indian population. This is a great connection. So you have these great roots, this great... Uh, identification with First Nation peoples, and really just being, what, what I appreciate too about you is a lot of people, when they come to education, of course, they have a lot of formal training. I mean, that's great. I mean, I'm so thankful for the experts, and I know you work with many of these experts in your work. Uh, we're thankful for those individuals, but what I see about your life story is you came with a fresh approach uh, as an engineer, kind of asking questions, what works, what doesn't work. How do you feel that gave you maybe a different perspective as you looked at these schools throughout the world? So, David, here's the thing. You know, we see a lot of uh, innovation everywhere. So the, the experts are in the classroom. The experts are teachers in our, you know, um, scholars in universities, those that are really researching. But we put together a team of researchers and teachers in which they find and observe the best ways, what's, um, how learning happens the best, how we can speed up learning, how we can, for instance, improve reading comprehension, how we can have uh, children motivated to learn and with a big smile to go to school, you know, and, and respecting each other and finding ways to realize their own dreams and being dependent in that sense. So we put all of this together and where I come in as an engineer is engineers uh, usually like to put processes and procedures in everything. And we like things to be efficient, right? Let's put an example. You are in Amazon and you're buying a new gift for your wife, for example, and you have no idea what to buy, but you think about, let's say a new book, right? Um, and then comes all the other books that Amazon recommends as well for you to mm -hmm. buy. Um, and this is making your process as a user more efficient. So my job as an engineer is, is always to answer that specific question is, 
how can I make this process more efficient for teachers, for students, for parents, and for the school systems around the world? So tell us a little bit about the uh, sequence in which you've put things out for people, not just uh, for educators, but also for parents, for interested uh, third parties. And the reason I'm asking the question, Erica, you first came to my attention because of a book, Becoming Einstein's Teacher. That's where I first heard your name and in, in connection with anything. So I'm wondering, did the book come first? Is the book uh, a product of learning one-to-one? Tell us a little bit about that sequence. Yes, uh, the book is a product of the work that we do at Learning One-to-One. The book was launched this year, beginning of this year, and is a product after 15 years uh, of working and perfectioning, you know, a six-step that we share in the book. So uh, we made it successful. We experiment here and there. We worked with uh, experts and to make sure that people that read the book have the best of what we have done in the last 15 years. So what you will find in the book is a very simple six-step process that teachers, parents, principals, and school systems in general can follow to uh, have their children become successful in learning. We definitely want to cover that six-step process in this show. I know with a a one-hour interview format, a lot of folks are able to join us for the whole show. Other people will hear part of it during their commute. They might catch the rest of it as a podcast. But for those who may not have that benefit, do you have a website where people could get introduced to your work? Absolutely. You can access www.learning1to.net. So it's learning1to1.net. And there is a special video that I myself recorded. It's a 30-minute video that people can watch and learn, um, parents, teachers, principals. And there's the book's website, which is www.erica20.com, Erica with a K. 20 is T-W-A-N-I.com. And uh, you have plenty of information um, to have. The last website that I gave you, eric20.com, you also have access to a blog that I write and constantly publish articles. And I would say that is closer to parents. You know, there are various topics that you read there. Like, for instance, um, do you know how fat leaves your body? And how does that have to do with education? Uh, Do you know the importance of breathing? And what does that have to do with education? So topics like that that are very interesting that I'm sure uh, people will love. They are very short articles. This is very interesting to me, especially as a physician, when you start speaking about physiology and tying that into learning. So if I'm going to remember just one website, if I can remember your name, Erica, with a K, E-R-I-K-A, and the last name, Twani, T-W-A-N-I, it's just erica20.com. It's that simple. That simple. Now, if I go there, can that get me to the learning net as well? Do you have a, a link there between the two sites? Uh, yes, yes. erica20.com connects to learning net because it's where you watch a lot of the videos. Um, and in learning net, there's a link uh, f- to purchase the book in case you're interested. Um, but... I would recommend if you want to read the blogs, 
uh, go to erica20.com. Well, before we step away from this segment, Erica, I am very interested, like I said, in some of these physiologic connections. So this, to me, sounds like a, a practical point we can end this segment on, and it, that has to do with the breathing and connection to learning. Please uh, help us understand what that is from an engineer and educator's perspective. I believe that there's a great practice that we learned, especially from Native Americans. You know, the, they have the, this exercise of breathing when we are, for instance, meditating. Uh, it's all about breathing. Uh, a mother gives birth to a child through a sequence of specific types of breathing, right? And mm-hmm. you can exercise. And if you if you breathe in a certain way, you can extend your endurance because of breathing. Breathing is so important for us and, and is so significant in our lives. And uh, there is a video that I share in, um, in the article that of a scientist that shares how the body, uh, the fat leaves the body and is through breathing as well. Mm. You know, so there's a combination of um, H2O to CO2 that uh, you lose fat through uh, breathing out um, and also to, through sweating. But it's interesting because it's over 70% is through breathing. It's not necessarily through sweating. So we believe that, okay, we exercise and we have to sweat to burn that fat. But it's not necessarily that way. Breathing is more important than sweating. So my comparison is that, you know, we know all of that through breathing. And the more conscious we are about our breathing, the better it will impact our lives, right? So my call to action is also, we have a brain. And the more conscious we are about how the brain works, how we learn, how we overcome uh, specific thoughts, the better will impact our lives. So my point is, every child has a brain. Many times we talk about, especially last year, this year, we talk about the importance of having a computer or access to technology or going to a specific school or charter school or public school. Um, And it's not necessarily because of that. Why don't we start for something that every child already has? A brain. Okay, you have definitely got our interest. And for those of you wondering about this connection with sweating and breathing, and you want a little more physiology, I'll lead in actually with that in our next segment. So Erica, you've set the table very nicely. I know you've got a six-portion meal coming, six key points in your book, Becoming Einstein's Teacher. That's all coming up as we continue today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. DeRose. Don't go away. We've got more coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times. And it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. 
Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest is Erica Twani. Erica is the CEO of a group called Learning One-to-One. If you've been with us from the top of the hour, you realize that she comes at education from an interesting perspective, the background of an engineer, someone who's traveled, working for a big technology firm and actually trying to scale the best educational technologies that are out there. Erica has done that legwork and now has partnered with leading educators throughout the world to put together some really sound programming that can help you as a parent, as a grandparent, as a tribal elder, as a teacher. We all could benefit from, well, becoming Einstein's teacher. That's the name of your uh, newest book, right, Erica? That's right, Davey. We want to get into uh, talking about that book, but before we do, I promise my listeners, you know, some of them are scratching their head, you know, what does breathing have to do? How do you actually breathe fat out? And I'll tell you something, Erica, that you're probably not aware of. Some years ago, uh, we actually published research. I was one of the uh, principal investigators in a plan, program, intervention that was working with community members trying to optimize weight loss. What we actually found out is um, when we had them incorporate more rest in their exercise regimen, learning from the wisdom of indigenous peoples. If you're doing an activity and you're tired, you know, you take a break. Uh, We have this idea often in Western culture that we just got to keep at a real high intensity to get maximum benefit. So we actually program rest in. It's a uh, technique that's been used by athletes for years called intermittent training, but we were using it with actually moderate exercise, not uh, doing wind sprints or things like this that I did when I was playing uh, competitive athletics. So the interesting thing, Erica, is we found just what you're sharing. If we optimized the breathing, if we helped 
oxygenate the adipose cells better. More oxygen to the cells leads to what we call aerobic as opposed to anaerobic metabolism, and the aerobic metabolism burns calories the most efficiently. So there is this, you know, people say, how, you know, how can you breathe fat out? But really, I know you made it very simple, but this is really very solid physiology. So thank you. And I, I can see already, this is the first time we've talked at any length on this interview, and I'm just seeing how you have a practical way of making things simple for parents, for teachers. Tell us again, you're out there writing, you're blogging, where does someone actually interact with you on the web? You can find me in every single social media, at uh, E20 or at Erica Twani. Um, you can find me anywhere and through my blog, uh, through my website, ericatwani.com. You have uh, an area that you can contact the author. There's my email there that you can find me directly. That's beautiful. It's very interesting. Thank you so much for your work, David, because it's so important for um, people to understand the importance of exercise and doing the right exercise is always important. Now, one interesting aspect of what you shared with us right now is that you are helping someone through information to optimize their performance when they exercise, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, um, it's not you that is doing the exercise for the person. It's the person doing the exercise, the person putting the effort to get there, right? That's, That's a very important aspect too, because if we bring that to education, we have teachers who are the uh, coaches, let's put it this way, since we're talking about exercising, or the coaches of students. However, the students themselves are the ones that have to do and they have to put the effort in. Otherwise, they won't learn. But it's not all only about you know, doing one, one activity here and one project there. It's the ability for them to understand how to research, you know, how to find information, how to plan their day, and how to do this and that. That's very important in the education system. And when we talk about the steps, I'll, I'll mention something that uh, I'll bring the topic back to what you just said. Great, great. So we do want to move into those steps. You who are just joining us as listeners, Erica Twani is spelled E-R-I-K-A-T-W-A-N-I. -I. So remember that as you're looking for some of her, her blogs, some of her other work that's out there in, in cyberspace. Erica20.com is one simple way to access Erica's work. So Erica, we've been talking some about your book, and tell us again about the title of the book. Give us the full title, and tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to write the book. The title of the book is Becoming Einstein's Teacher, Awakening the Genius in Your Students. And it's for you to understand that every child is a genius. And it's not because it's just an inspirational thing that I want to tell you that your child is a genius. There's research behind it, David. Plenty of research behind it that shows that every child is a genius. And our job as educators is to foster that genius from to bring out from within. That's that's the word, um, the meaning of the word education from Latin. It's called uh, educare, which is to bring forth from within. So mm. think of a child as a seed. So what we do today in the traditional schooling system is, okay, we're going to deliver every single subject and, you know, we're going to tell them exactly what to do, uh, books to read, animals to paint, subjects to learn, uh, school to go to. We're going to tell them because we know better. 
ignoring the fact that a uh, an orange seed will give you orange an mm. orchid seed will give you orchid if you want an orange from an orchid seed it's not going to happen right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we must pay attention to that those little details that you know we have to find a little seed in every child and our job as educators is to make that flourish that's what impo- inspired me to write the book and one other thing that inspired me is that I read a lot of books. I read two, three books a month. I wish I could read more, but I can't. I don't have enough time. Um, and I did not find a book that could summarize something like that. You know, those books are very theoretical, um, mm-hmm. but I wanted something practical. And the book aims at giving teachers and parents something really, really practical that they can work with. Well, let's launch into that. Let's uh, give our listeners today some of these practical pointers. I know we can't cover everything that's in the book, obviously, but you uh, lay out the book with six critical, can I call them steps, that uh, can help someone tap into this inner genius of any child. So walk us through that process. All right. Are you sitting down and ready to go? (laughs) I am. I am. Hopefully my listeners are too. All right. So uh, the objective is for us to provide a personalized learning experience and develop the self-direction learning of every child to make them um, prepared for any situation and anything they want to learn in the world in their during this um, today and in the future. So that's the whole point. Um, So step number one is planning and setting goals. Hmm. So usually, I'll give you a statistic before that. Uh, most likely our listeners have uh, have read the book, um, uh, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. And if you remember, Malcolm Gladwell uh, shares that you need 10,000 hours to be an expert on anything. So our children are 16,800 hours from kindergarten to 12th grade in school, sitting down and waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. They have Mm. no initiative, right? And we say responsible children are the ones that sit down and listen and do well on tasks. The responsibility comes when you plan, you take action, and you're Mm. able to reflect on your actions, right? So that's why step number one is so important, planning and um, setting goals. Because with that, if we practice every day for 16,800 hours, when they leave school, they'll be experts on that. They'll know what they want. See, um, when they graduate from high school, you know, usually in the commencement, uh, we hear people say, follow your dreams and, you know, find your passion. But they never had this practice when they were in school. They never Mm. learned how to plan. They never learned how to discover their passion. How can we ask this from children? So that's the very um, first step. Erica, illustrate this for us. Give us a story of maybe someone or a school or something that was cultivating this first step. I'll give a story about once I went, I went visiting a school in Mexico, a school that we, we provided professional development for teachers. And I was visiting them and I sat down with two students from uh, fifth grade students. And um, I asked, you know, I saw them working in math and this girl uh, was helping the the boy uh, with math. And I said, why, why are you helping him in math? And, and she said, well, because I'm done and uh, he needs help. 
And then mm-hmm. I asked the, the boy, why do you need help? Well, because I'm late with my math. And, and, and I asked, why are you late? Well, so because I didn't plan well. I didn't plan my time mm-hmm. well. I was uh, uh, playing more than, you know, focusing on math. And I said, hmm, what are you going to do next time? And he said, I'm going to plan my time better. So notice, uh, notice an 11 year old boy never told me I don't like math. I don't understand math. He said, Mm. I didn't plan my time well. So notice, you know, nobody ever is born not liking math. We learn not to like math because we hear all the time, you know, you're not good at it or Mm. you have a, you have a low grade in math, but because of step number one, this boy realized he can do it. It's just a matter of putting the effort in. This is just such great information. I know there's five other steps. We want to get to all those. We do have to step away, though. You're listening to Erica Twani. She's the founder and CEO of a group called One Learning One-to-One. Learning One-to-One. And uh, she's the author of the book, Becoming Einstein's Teacher. We've got a lot more from her, a lot of practical things for you and for those that you love. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay tuned. We'll have more right after these important messages. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Erica Twani is my guest. Her passion is helping you as a parent, as a grandparent, as a tribal leader, as a community leader, as someone who just has influence in your sphere of, uh, in your sphere of influence to make a difference in the lives of children around you. She is the CEO of a group called Learning One-to-One, and she is giving us practical messages to help our children. Erica, I appreciated the point you were making in our last segment, this whole idea of just how people develop proficiency. It is by doing, repetitive doing, and whether it's 10,000 times or 20,000 times or whatever that magic number might be. I mean, I'm sure people uh, could debate what it takes to become an expert. But like you said, kids are in school for hours and hours. If they're using that time to develop expertise, it can be very powerful. And one of those things that's often neglected, like you mentioned, is setting goals, having objectives. This can make the difference long-term as well, long-term between success and failure. As we wind up that first step, any final points that you'd like our, our listeners to be aware of? Now, I'll recommend, just to close up on step number one, is um, to have uh, access my blog. There is a very interesting article about um, in how your child can become a Spider-Man without a spider bite. So I, I guess that, you know, parents will relate to that because most of the children, especially boys, they love being Spider-Man and playing like Spider-Man. So it'd be very interesting for you to read and discover What's important in step number one that I share in this article? Okay, very good. Yeah, so it's not some just external factor, some chance factor that turns you into uh, a genius or some superhuman, but actually there are practical steps. So uh, so great. Go into your blog. And again, how do people get to your blog? You go to ericatwani.com slash blog, and you'll see a series of articles there. And look for the Spider-Man uh, picture that you see, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Send me your comments. I would love to have that discussion with you. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's move through the steps. So the first step is basically setting goals and objectives. Am I articulating that correctly? That's correct. That's correct. And the second one, David, is explore. Hmm. So physiologic. let's go back to your uh, experience as a doctor. And I heard many of your um, of your podcasts. One of them talks talks about neurotransmitters, and uh, the way that you know our physiology motivates those neurotransmitters to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the same thing happened when someone is learning something. So the whole goal is for us to work with existing neural connections. Um, so the more we attach new knowledge to existing neural connections, the better students will learn. So that's that's what we call explore. And um, there's a, a Canadian uh, doctor called Dr. Donald Hebb. Uh, that's uh, his conclusion of his study is that cells that fire together wire together. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the whole point. So let's translate all that physiology and uh, brain neuroscience. Is when we connect 
the new knowledge into existing knowledge. So, for example, I was uh, talking to a seventh grader, uh, Marco, and I always love to use this example because he's very passionate about cars. Right? Marco loves cars. And mm -hmm. the export section, what we did is, he, what he, he did, Marco did, is to connect what he was learning, which was the uh, uh, digestive system, into cars. So food is gasoline, uh, mm. the engine is the stomach, and so on and so forth. I mean, did, did he really learn something? Of course he did, right? Because he was able to, to make those connections. And that's the mm -hmm. whole point is for children to practice that while they're in school well, with the coaching of uh, their teachers. So that's how it's, that's why it's so important this step is to make sure that whatever situation they are, they can learn anything because they practice that in school. How do I connect my new knowledge into my existing knowledge and make that effective? I really appreciate this because I'm, I'm thinking of a school that we featured on our uh, our program, American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a number of times called Holbrook Indian School. And they talk a lot about how part of their curriculum involves a lot of indigenous uh, crafts, indigenous values. They have horsemanship, you know, basket weaving, different things of that nature. And as I've listened to their stories, it sounds like a lot of what's happening in those settings is they're giving students an opportunity to maybe explore things that would be out of the normal realm of, of the educational arena. It wouldn't be part of a normal high school curriculum, but they're tying these things to other more conventional uh, pursuits, whether it's mathematics or, or language or whatever. Is that kind of an illustration of what you're speaking about? Absolutely. Now, with the caveat that we're using the curriculum as an excuse for, for children to develop those skills. So if you notice, we're talking about skills, how to mm. connect what you're learning to your existing knowledge, how to plan, how to set goals. So we're practicing all those skills while we're learning the curriculum. Excellent, excellent. So step one has to do with these goals, objectives. Step two has to do with exploring. What about step three? Step three is called research. So now we're going to explore books, videos, uh, audiobooks, um, textbooks, uh, interview somebody. Every single resource that we can have access to, regardless, I mean, if you have a computer, use a computer. If you don't, find your way. Um, to have access to information to make sure that you understand the topic at hand, right? So mm -hmm. we first start uh, with children, you know, providing that information. But teachers, little by little, start motivating children to find their own information. And that continuous practice, gets, guess what, will benefit them from life, for life. So was talking to some kids um, in one specific school, two kids, two, Maria and Katie, and they said, we're going to study music in London. They were like 13 years old. And I said, really? Uh, they're from a rural school. I said, why London? Well, because that's the best, you know, specific school that we have to go to. And how'd you find that school? Well, we researched. We found mm. it. Um, so they have the chance and they know how to plan. They know how to set the goal. They know how to explore 
you know, uh, connect to what they know about other schools, and they know how to research and find the best way. Now, those two children, they live in a rural school. Their financial situation does not allow them to go to, to London to study music. But they also found out the way to get scholarship to go to that wow. specific university without the parents, without the teacher, without anybody helping them. That's the power of learning how to research. That is an exciting story. So kids can accomplish a whole lot, even if they don't seem to have any resources, if they learn some of these basic skills. Isn't that the point? That's the whole point, David. That's the genius within our students that you and I and our audience have to learn to unleash. So we've gone through the first three points in this six-step process that you and your team have developed. Where do we go from point three? Where do we go from the research? Step number four is practice. So once you gathered all that information, so let's say that you, David, you went to medical school, right? You, you learned all those theories, and now you have to practice that. Otherwise, how can you see a patient and how can you start working with patient just with a piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. What we do is we translate that into uh, a school, a school practice. So they researched already. They have all that information at hand. Now what? So teachers uh, work with students and students themselves, little by little, start suggesting their own work. They do activities. They do projects. That's where project-based learning happens. Uh, they do a, uh, they write a, a song, uh, they do theater, they do so many things to demonstrate that they have learned that specific um, subject. And we had a, a, a teacher, Richard, that shared with us in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, where they couldn't see students at all. So we trained that teacher to work with students to two students, uh, Lauren Julian, and I remember their name because I have a blog with, uh, with their story. So uh -huh. they, were, they were learning about uh, how to be responsible in agriculture, right? Uh, what to plant and how to uh -huh. irrigate and so on and so forth. And uh, they created a comic. So Laura's really good at telling stories and Julian is really good at the, the drawing stuff. And so they oh, created wow. this, this very nice comic. And then, of course, I mean, when Richard got that and I said, this is amazing. Yes, of course, you kids learned, you know, it's a project that they came up with, right? It's not that te the teacher said, you got to write a comment or you got to design something. No, uh, they did it by themselves in their initiative, intrinsic motivation, connecting to what they love. So um, they did that. So they got good grade on that uh, specific mm -hmm. job. But what amazed Richard uh, is that they continued the work after the comic and after the, the job was done, they gather other kids and they played the comic and they recorded the comic on, um, on video and posted on YouTube, which is amazing. Richard, when he saw that, was like, those kids are really engaged with my uh, subject. This demonstrates mm. that it's all about them. It's not about me. My job is to motivate them is to engage them in in that sense and finding that intrinsic motivation and that comes with the practice step i've been a teacher on a couple of different college campuses 
and one of the classes that I taught was nutrition. I'm, I'm kind of interested in your feedback on this. So one of the things that I always got the students doing was doing a uh, a nutrition seminar and cooking classes for the community. So it was one of the things that we would do as part of a standard university nutrition curriculum. And I always felt that getting them out using what they were learning was a powerful way to illustrate things. Is that kind of along the same lines that you're talking about as far as practicing what you're learning? Absolutely. Now, make sure that you add the previous steps before the practice, because mm. in the traditional education system, that's exactly what happens. You know, a teacher stands in front of students, provide a lecture, and then they jump into activities. But students never had the chance to plan, uh, to set goals, to explore and connect the new knowledge into uh, previous knowledge. They never had a chance to research themselves and, you know, find things that they will uh, be enjoyable for them to read. So it's very important to help children to do the uh, previous steps first. Great points, Erica. We're going to be coming back with a final segment with Erica Twani. Erica is spelled E-R-I-K-A, last name Twani, T-W-A-N-I. And the reason I spell it is because that's her website, ericatwani.com. Go there, take advantage of her blog. You can pick up a copy of her book, we're going to talk more practical things for you, for those that you care about. In our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose. Stay tuned right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. Aces are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more aces, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ace number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. 
Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of the broadcast. Dr. David DeRose with Erica Twani, Erica, CEO of Learning One to One. Erica, you've been so gracious to share a lot of the secrets in your book, Becoming Einstein's Teacher. And whether it's a, a parent, whether it's a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle who's uh, listening in to today's show, whether it's someone who's on a tribal council and just looking at ways to improve uh, education, maybe on a reservation or in an urban population, I think folks are getting a lot of practical information in this show. I know there's many educators that tune in. Uh, my daughter is an elementary school teacher and principal of a small startup school, and I know she's going to be excited to hear the interview. But you've been walking us through some steps, practical steps, to help every child tap into their genius. Review, please, for us those first four steps. So the very first step is goal setting and planning. The second step is explore, where we will connect previous knowledge into the new knowledge. The third step is research, where children will find their information. And that's so important because uh, one of the most uh, uh, the important skills right now in the 21st century, because we are exposed to so much information, is to have discernment, discernment mm. of what is good and what is not, what is useful and what is not. So research um, and then practice, uh, which is uh, the, uh, the practical way that you're going to use what you researched. So what about steps five and six then? Where, where do those take us? So let's jump right in. And they're so important as the previous ones. So step number five is called relate. Mm. Um, and relate means how do I relate what I learned to my life? How will I use that information? Because most of the things that we see in school, uh, like for instance, uh, uh, do you remember uh, abstract algebra? I had to study that as an engineer. I never, yeah, you, you, ever you, used that in my life. You definitely had to do more math than we did. And uh, I mean, I had a couple years of calculus, but abstract algebra, that's the one I always heard the math majors groaning about. Yeah, it's uh, how to prove one plus one equals four or <laughs> equals two, sorry. Uh, equals four is going to be very difficult, but one plus one equals two. And and we have to prove why one plus one is equals two. I never used that in my life, right? So if it doesn't make sense for us, it doesn't have meaning and value. We're not going to be interested on it. So one of the very important skills for us to develop is uh, for children to connect what they're learning to their lives or to what they want in life. So Alan is, is an example that I always use because it impressed me a lot. Is this 17-year-old that was studying math limits? Do you remember limits? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I don't remember limits at all. <laughs> I mean, I remember limits, but I don't. Rem if you ask me to explain what they were, don't, don't ask me that. Yeah, and many other examples. But this boy, he wanted to be a psychologist, write books, and he loved literature. He studied a lot of that. And I said, that's going to be very challenging. How are you going to relate limits to your life and what you love? And he said, well, it's very simple. You have this author and this author and this author and this author talks about how we put limits in our own lives. 
And then he mathematically demonstrated that and was like, I mean, I would never think about that, even as an engineer. Uh, imagine our teachers in schools, uh, imagine, you know, those, that specific rural school and that child, because of his practice, continuous practice on relating and connecting things, he was able to do that. And he will be able, that's the big, big uh, impact that we are creating. He'll be able to do it for the rest of his life because of wow. this practice. So you've been walking us through a step-by-step thing to unlock the inner genius in every child. There is a sixth and final step to all of this. And and where does that take us, Erica? That takes finally to a self-assessment. So the last step is self-assessment. And it's a big um, inner uh, evaluation of how did I do? Did I plan it right? Did I set the right goals? Um, uh, Did I do my best in my practice? Uh, Did I research the right um, resources? Did I use them correctly? So with those questions and um, inner self-evaluation, what we're doing is we're practicing um, how to look at ourselves and how, how to look at our own journey in our own process every day. So you and I, David, we didn't have that, uh, that opportunity while we were in school, right? And then when we're older, we have to go to work with a psychologist to go back to our senses and go back to our inner self, right? To understand ourselves. But if we give that opportunity to children to practice for 16,800 hours, they'll be experts on that. And they'll be doing that not only in the subject that they're learning, but in their lives. Am I getting married to the right person? Am I buying the right house? Am I accepting the right job? And you see those things happening in their lives, right? Those questions and evaluations naturally because they're already experts on it. This is such a powerful message that you've been giving us, Erica. Years ago, I ended up involved in uh, in high school debate. So I was you know, on the debate team in, in high school. And one of the things I realized uh, as a college student is that love for research was developed in that setting, you know, to really dig deeply into things. And as I'm listening to what you've been sharing, I think about my own life, that desire to dig into things and to put into practice and use it. Really, what you're saying is you don't have to be on a debate team. I mean, just these disciplines that are so practical and can be used by everyone, they're accessible if we just help our students recognize that these are skills that they can be developing regardless of what their age is. Is that true as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. So at Learning One to One, we work mainly with K-12 schools, uh, but we do work with uh, some universities and we see those skills being developed regardless of, of children's age. And, the, and there is one important thing, David, that is worth mentioning. So we talk about self-assessment, right? And we talk about this reflection of what you can do, how, how, how much you can push yourself. Uh, like the uh, exercise example, how mm-hmm. many more reps I can do, how, mm-hmm. how much more I can get my heart rate um, up. So those self-evaluations that... Uh, students learn how to do also make them reflect on that they can do things that they're good at things that they can reach their dreams and -hmm. because of that guess what happens to self-esteem was really really high because now i can do things you know i i can realize whatever i said to myself so we don't have problems with uh 
the bullying, for instance, with uh, the schools that we work with, you know, big time depression, because children know what they're good at. And as long as they're happy with their inner selves, they'll be happy for life. And they are happy today. This is really great. And I know this is a huge issue and it's not a, a Native American issue exclusively. I mean, it's across demographic lines, you know, depression, uh, suicide risk, all of these things that are so heavily impacting our students today. This brings us to a very practical question. We've been speaking a lot about your book that anyone can access. We've spoken about your website, ericatwani.com. But as we're winding up, Erica, what about schools, uh, administrators, uh, tribal council leaders that are saying, boy, we could use uh, this type of approach in our schools. Does your group do consultations with schools? How do they get a hold of you to do something like that? Yes, please, please, please. Let's sit down and talk about it because it's so important. We provide professional development for teachers, consultations with uh, for school systems and districts. This is so important because usually, you know, we have, we think that let's do a 30 minute session on social emotional learning and get all the problems solved with, uh, with students. Mm. It doesn't happen that way. I mean, it has to be a continuous practice and the, the, the social emotional learning is embedded in the six steps. So all we were doing is using the curriculum as an excuse to develop all the skills that will serve kids for today and for their lives. Excellent stuff. Erica, our time has just about slipped away. Do you have any final remarks you'd like to share with uh, my listeners before we wind up? I would like to share the secret sauce. Okay, let's get it in there as quick as we can. (laughs) All right. So the secret sauce that we have is to understand that um, it's not that children will become uh, self-directed immediately and that they will learn how to work in the six steps immediately, right? Even teachers we have a uh, levels of self-direction that we also set besides the six steps. So they start with level one, and then there are some criteria that will take children to level two, level three, and level four. And that's very important because many schools believe that, you know, it's just give a computer to, to the child and that they will love to learn and they'll learn by themselves. It doesn't happen that way. So the secret sauce, four levels of self-direction that you can read at, in becoming Einstein's teacher. Thank you so much, Erica. I know you've just got a wealth of information. I wish we had a two-hour show or a three-hour show, but I think you've communicated such, uh, such great stuff. And if you're tuned in and you say, boy, I want more too, you can reach out to Erica through her website. You can learn more there. You can pick up her book. It's all available at Erica Twani, E-R-I-K-A-T-W-A-N-I.com. Erica, again, thank you so very much. Thank you, David. And to each of you, my listeners, thank you for joining us on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.